You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. It's great that we could be together. I will tell you that I've had a I've had an encouraging morning already. Um, uh, not because I woke up before the sun came up, but uh, I got a chance to tune in online to. Uh, our friends in Cameroon, brothers and sisters in Cameroon right now are having their 60th anniversary celebration of the youth department for the Cameroon Baptist Convention. And it was so great uh, to get to join them and to, uh, to watch what God continues to do. And they wanted me to tell you this morning, thank you. Because Century Baptist, as many of you know, has been just an absolute uh, incredible partner with what's going on in the youth department over there. Uh, over the years, we've uh, helped to build a, a new youth camp, and unfortunately now, because of the civil war that's been taking place, that we haven't been able to use that camp. And so now they launched, this morning they launched the remodel of another camp uh, at the other end of the country in the safer area um, that, uh, that they want to, uh, to remodel and rebuild and get youth groups from all over the U.S. and Canada playing a role in that. And so we're excited to get to do that. They also wanted to say thank you to you for how you continue to support the YEEP Project, the Youth Economic Empowerment Project, because of the Civil War in Cameroon. Um, there are many uh, displaced families, lots of young people who've lost loved ones and are without income, able to take care of themselves. And the Yeep Project provides them with training uh, in a new business, provides them with materials to do that, as well as discipleship on how to live like Jesus. And Century Baptist, we are uh, the, the funding source of that program and to this date have given over $60,000. Not, not, not out of our regular weekly offerings, but because that there are incredible individuals that are part of Century Baptist Church to say that's the thing that we're going to focus on and, and we want to see lives saved. And so, uh, so they just wanted me to say thank you because we've played a role for about the last 20 years in a direct partnership with the youth department. And so, uh, so thanks for that. If you would, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. We've been there a while. You've heard me say, let's go to Matthew chapter 12 for a very long time now. We're going through it slowly, methodically, but it's all about what we just got done singing about, that we would be able to proclaim to ourselves that yes, this is who he is. He is Jesus is our King. We follow Him, uh, we worship Him, we believe Him, and we trust Him. Uh, there is a story about a young American engineer, uh, electronics engineer. He uh, had a girlfriend, and they were talking about getting married, but the thing that always kind of hindered everything was, was finances. And so he just said, before we get engaged, we've, we've got to figure out how we're going to be able to, to support a family and that I'm going to be able to support you and we're going to be able to get a home and cars. Well, while they're having this conversation, uh, pondering all of this and kind of working out all of their numbers, uh, his company wants to send him to Ireland for two years uh, to, uh, to work on a certain project and um, it's going to provide them with the income that they need. He was going to go away and she was going to stay back home in Tennessee and, and continue to work in her job. And they thought, if we, if we play our cards right, we pool our resources, when I get back, we can get engaged, we can get married, we can have a great life together. And she said, but I don't want you to go. Because for you being away for two years away from me, what if you stop caring about me? What if you find some beautiful Irish Lass, that's the only time I've ever used that in the sermon, uh, that, 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 that we, you might want to leave me. He said, absolutely not. 
And she said, will you make sure that you write to me continually? He said, I promise I will. And so he moves away and the letters are going back and forth like crazy until all of a sudden they start to slow down from him. She's not getting them. And, and she writes him, she says, I know what's happened. I know, that, I know you found yourself uh, another woman and I know you've got all that time on your hands. You're probably hanging out with your friends and you're going out and, and there's so many ladies that could tempt you and, uh, away from me. And, and he writes back, says, absolutely not. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just missing you and I'm staying focused on work. Not long after that, he gets a package. He opens up, it's a harmonica and, and it, a letter from her that says, um, how about rather than go out, uh, you just, every time that you miss me, every time you think of me, uh, why don't you put your focus on just learning to play the harmonica? Just learn to play it and, and, and then um, I'll just trust that, then that, that you're not out looking out for other ladies and uh the two years go by relatively quickly and he comes home gets off the plane and and uh goes home there's a whole crowd there at the house waiting for him and he sees her and he just takes off running and he opens up his arms he just wants to give her a big hug and a kiss and she goes well, wait a minute he said before there's any hugging and kissing i want to hear a song on the harmonica <laughs> well i don't know what it is about us that so often that that why, why, can't, why can't we just take people at their word? I mean, we know it's pretty hard to trust nowadays, but why is it that we always want more? Why is it that words aren't enough to trust? For the Pharisees, we've been looking at this for a number of weeks now. It wasn't enough for what Jesus was speaking about, what he was preaching, what he was proclaiming about himself, or all of the miracles that he had performed. It still wasn't enough for them. Chapter 12 has been filled with an incredible amount of interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, and they continually question. We want more. Their questions get asked. Jesus gives them the answers that they need to hear. They doubt, and Jesus continues to prove that they're wrong. They threaten, and Jesus heals. They spit lies, and Jesus continues to proclaim truth. But no matter what he did, it was not enough. Their hard hearts get harder, and they keep asking for more. Here's what happens in verse 38 of chapter 12. Let's stand together as I, uh, as I read this text. Here's what, here's what Matthew writes. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation looks for a sign. But no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, and they will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater then Solomon is here. Father, as we just spend a few minutes in preparation of our hearts for uh, remembering this great sacrifice that, that your son made, that you made by sending your son, would you just uh, give this place focus on you and what your spirit wants to do? We continually say, Father, the enemy's not welcome here to do anything, but only your spirit to teach us what it is that we need to know. So may you be glorified by all things. Amen. You can have a seat. 
Let's talk about this desire for more. They, they, they had seen Jesus work. They had heard him teach. They had seen incredible miracles that they'd never seen before. And they come and say, hey, we're just wondering, um, could, you, could you show us a sign? Totally missing everything that he had already done. Uh, a number of years ago, we as a, a family went with a couple of other families that are really close to us that we became friends with when we lived in Sioux Falls. And we, um, we have a mutual friend who has a house in the mountains in Colorado. So they let us use it for a week. And, uh, and we went out. Uh, and one day, uh, the guys all decided that we were going to go uh, try fly fishing. Um, we're terrible at it. But man, is it fun. And so we decide we're talking about going out, and the girls are like, that doesn't sound fun at all. And so they weren't going to go. They were going to stay back. And my friend Matt, his son, uh, was like, well, I think I'm going to stay back with the girls. And, and, and Matt said, no, 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 this is a guy thing. We're all going to do this together. You're going. Well, his son made it pretty clear the entire time uh, that he did not want to be out fishing. You know, it was one of those things where he's like, well, what scares fish away? Make a noise? Let me make noise. And he was just loud and constantly, when are we going home? When is it time to go back to the cabin? Are we going yet? Please, can we go? And, and my friend Matt was getting really frustrated. And, and so over and over again, Matt would have to correct him and said, man, if you don't, if you don't stop this, I'm going to send you to the car. You're going to have to go sit in the car. And, and he's like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, how long would I have to sit in the car? Like, when are we going home? And it was just on and on and on. And finally, he had had enough, and he's like, all right, man, get to the car. Uh, we don't want to hear from you anymore. And then what happened is that he just rolled down the window, and every once in a while we'd hear, is it time to go yet? Is it time to go yet? Dad! And so for me, it was entertaining. For Matt, not so much. Uh, a, a little while later, my friend Dave, his son, got a little bit exhausted by it. He said, I'm going to go to the car and grab a snack. And he gets in the car, and, and um, Matt's son starts to kind of poke at him and uh, get a little bit annoying. And all of a sudden, we start to, to hear a fight break out in the car. And loud. And, and, so, and so all of a sudden, Matt throws his rod down, and we all throw ours, and we all go running up to the car. And Matt is in, he's just red with anger, and he whips open the door to grab his son. And, he, and his son looks up and goes, Oh, is it time to go already? <laughs> I say that because it just, it's a great picture of, of what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. Like, how much do you need to be told? The truth of what is going on, and you ju it just flies right over your head, in one ear, out the other, and you totally ignore it. We want to see a sign from you. Jesus has been giving them signs over and over and over again, and they just don't see it. The original translation, uh, show us a sign, means we want to see you do something spectacular. Give us a show. Right? We, we've seen what you've done here, but, but show us something else. Show us something even greater than this. In chapter 12 alone, just in what we've been studying the past few weeks, in just this one day, the time that Jesus is in front of these scribes and Pharisees, He had already healed a, the, a, a withered hand, a man with a withered hand, brought structure back to his hand. It's workable. And then Jesus leaves from there, and a huge crowd follows Him. And it says that as the crowd followed Him, Jesus turned, and He healed every person in the crowd that had an illness. I would say, I would say already we're, we're at two spectacular events 
that have taken place. Then what happens is they go to the synagogue and there's a man who has, who's demon-possessed and he's blind and he can't speak. And Jesus drives the demon out of him and brings the man uh, back to full function of his eyes and his ears and his mouth. I would say pretty spectacular. Then Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and says, you guys are missing the whole point. Do you know who I am? Do you see the power that I'm working under? And he tells them, as we looked at for the last couple of weeks, watch yourselves, because if you do not believe in who I am, the end is not going to be good for you. Judgment is going to come from you. Get your minds together, get your hearts together, get your lives together, and see who I am for who I am. Believe in me. And they say, uh, good talk. Could you show us something? Uh, could you show us a sign? Could you do a miracle? Totally missing who Jesus is. Jesus had presented himself as the Messiah with all divine authority. And they had a choice to make. Will they accept him or will they deny him? But they made the choice of just saying, well, we just want more. Show us something. They weren't going to believe. Their hearts far too hard. Jesus says in John 6.35, He says, I'm the bread of life. In other words, I'm everything that you need. If you believe in me, you'll never go hungry. Trust in me, you're never going to thirst. I'm going to give you everything that you possibly need. And they say, yeah, but we want more. Ever since Satan's uh, first temptation of mankind, Adam and Eve, there in the garden, he struck at this core. We talked about last week of, of poking at uh, uh, you can't trust your God. He's holding out on you. There must be some things that He doesn't want you to know, doesn't want you to have. He doesn't want you to be fully happy or full of joy. And strikes at a court of discontentment and doubt. That's how we live our lives so often, isn't it? Yeah, I know that, I know God, I know that you are everything that I need. That Jesus, I know that you're all that I need, that you're my joy, that you're my peace, but man, if I could just have more, my life would be better. Sin enters into the world, and God in his great mercy provides a way out of punishment for that sin, gives himself, his only son, all of him. And we continue to pursue everything else in the world thinking that that's what's going to give us fulfillment and it doesn't we know that we always want more it's not until we dig ourselves into the deepest pit that we possibly can pursuing all these other things then all of a sudden we start screaming god why don't you show yourself to me when are you going to finally show that you love me and prove yourself to me and he said i did you've rejected it that's what jesus is going after these religious leaders for so you, you have all the evidence that you need. Not just what I have done, but everything that Jesus did was the fulfillment of all of what the Old Testament had promised He would be. They're just too blind to see it. They refuse. So Jesus' answer to them was, an evil and adulterous generation always seeks for a sign. He wasn't playing their game. He was calling them out. And they knew exactly what He was talking about when He called them that. Because their ancestors, their forefathers, 
As we read all throughout the Old Testament, whenever they, they didn't want God to be in charge of their lives, they created their own idols, and they always looked for ways that they could conjure up some type of power that didn't come from God, that they could do it on their own. And they were constantly referred to by God as being those that were uh, adulterous. An adulterous generation. That's exactly what Jesus is saying to these scribes. You just inherited uh, from your fathers what they did. Looking for joy, salvation somewhere else. In Mark's parallel passage in chapter 8, as he tells of this interaction that Jesus is having with these scribes, he, uh, it says that, that Jesus, they ask the question, you show us a sign? And it says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. In other words, he just, I think he was exhausted and it just broke his heart. Just, oh, man, you guys don't get it. Why are you always looking for something spectacular from me? Why don't you just accept me as spectacular, right? And so Jesus says, no sign is going to be shown to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah who was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights and then came out alive. Jesus is predicting His death and His resurrection. We'll get to that in, in just a minute. Um, but, but Jesus says, no sign is going to be given you until... I give you the sign of Jonah. Jesus did not mean I'm, I'm done performing miracles. That wasn't it at all. As we have talked about, as we understand what miracles were for, was for, were for the confirmation of faith so that people would believe in who He was. Yes, it was done out of His great love and His mercy for those that had needs that couldn't care for themselves, but, but it always was accompanied by and done in front of people who would, would have a faith in Him. We find it in Mark chapter 6. Jesus is in his hometown, and it says because of their lack of faith, because they didn't believe Jesus, he could not do miracles in Nazareth. It didn't mean that he couldn't, because Jesus could do anything. He's God. But, but he refused to, because it wasn't in his character to perform miracles, to do something spectacular, to draw people to faith when he knew there isn't going to be a response anyway. I'm just going to be a sideshow. In John chapter 4, when a man comes up to Jesus on the street and says, my son is dying and I need you to heal him because I know that you're the only one. Would you please show me a sign that he's going to be okay? And Jesus again says, you're always looking for signs and wonders, but without them, I know you're not going to believe. So know this, your son as well. And the man says, I believe. Miracles are Jesus' part. Our role is belief, faith, and a trust that in His timing He's going to do what He says that He is going to do. I love that Jesus refused to do miracles in His hometown because I want a Savior who sets the example of I don't need your applause. I don't, I don't even need your affirmation. Because I'm King, I'm Lord, I'm Savior, I'm God. It's up to you if you want to follow me. I don't need you to follow me. But I'm giving you the opportunity because I love and I care. But I wonder if we truly understand that. That 
that Jesus doesn't need our validation to be who Jesus is. But we need who Jesus is to validate our lives. James 4.3 says when you pray, you ask and you don't receive because you, you ask for selfish reasons. It's why you don't see answer. You're going to use what, what you're given on your own pleasures. And God says, I don't want to spoil you like that. It's going to ruin your life. So I'll give you what you ask if you're asking with the right motives. Jesus knows you're, you're asking with the wrong motives for me to perform a miracle because you're not going to do anything with it. But maybe accuse me of doing wrong. And he says, just like Jonah, uh, on the day of judgment, he said, the Ninevites are going to rise up and they're going to call you all out. It's really interesting. He talks about the Ninevites and he talks about this queen of the south. And the reason that he does it is really Jesus is just really driving on a point. These men that are asking this question, they know their, they know their scriptures. They know the Old Testament. And they know what took place there in Nineveh. Remember Jonah. I mean, we know about the whale. But the reason that there's a whale is because Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh, the most evil city at that time, to go and to call them to repentance or God was going to destroy them. And Jonah says, I'm not going. Right? That, that place is too evil. Jonah, we know, wanted, actually wanted them to be destroyed because he thought they're not holy enough. They need to be gotten rid of. He jumps on a boat and sails the other way. And then we know the storm rages. Jonah knows why there's a storm. He tells the, the other sailors, he's like, look, the reason there's a storm is because I'm on your boat and God's angry. So you got to toss me overboard. So they do. Jonah gets swallowed by a great fish. Uh, for three days and three nights, he's in the belly. That's a pretty good amount of time to learn your lesson, not to mess with God, right? And God in his mercy... But yet in his greatness and going to fulfill the plan has this fish spit Jonah out and Jonah wanders in this oh, wrinkled white raisiny guy now because he's been in the water for three days, goes walking into Nineveh and he begins to proclaim uh, a message of repentance, speaking for God. And what happens? The city repents and God spares their lives. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, uh, on the day of judgment, when all is said and done, because you didn't believe in me, the men of Nineveh, the days of old, are going to rise up and they're going to come to you and they're going to meet you and go, where were your heads? What were you guys thinking? We, we actually listened to an outcast, an outsider, who came from far away. We didn't know who he was, but he came because God sent him, and all he had to do was speak to us, to tell us what God wanted us to know, and we all repented, and we believed in God because of it. What they're going to say to you is, you actually had God himself come to you. Not only did he have a message for you to repent, but he showed you with a lot of evidence through his miracles and all that he did and the fulfillment of prophecy that he was the Messiah and, and you didn't believe him. We believe Jonah and Jesus says something greater than Jonah is here. Right? Jonah was a prophet of God and Jesus says, I am God. And then he says, also on the day of judgment, behind the Ninevites is going to come the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. We find out about her in 1 Kings chapter 10. Kind of an obscure uh, reference that Jesus would make, but he knows that these guys are going to know what he's talking about. You read about it in 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba has, is one of the wealthiest queens in the world. Uh, and, and she has beauty and she has power. 
And she hears about Solomon and his incredible wisdom. And 1 Kings 10 says uh, that she knows the Lord had given to him. She's a, a pagan queen, follows after other gods, but she says, I, I got to go meet this guy. I have a lot of questions for him. If he's got wisdom from the one true God, then I want to hear about it. So she packs up an entire entourage uh, and camels and gold and um, incense and spices, and they make this trek 1,500 miles, leaving the throne behind, leaving uh, her kingdom to be run by others. She doesn't care about that anymore because she wants to have her questions answered. And it says that she traveled and she met with Solomon, and Solomon answered every question that she had. He gave her all of that time to answer every question that she possibly might have. And it says that she saw all that God had blessed Solomon with. And it says that it left her breathless. It took her breath away. This is amazing, was her response. And she told Solomon, she said, I've heard stories about you. But I didn't believe it until I heard it for myself. Blessed be your God. That, that's where it ended. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, so when the Ninevites are done chewing you out, now you're going to have to face the Queen of Sheba. And she's going to go, hello, <laughs> McFly, right? How, how did you guys miss this? I traveled 1,500 miles to go just to hear a little bit of the wisdom that God gave Solomon, one of his servants. And just by him answering my questions, I believed in the one true God. You didn't have to go anywhere. God came directly to you. He's one of you. One of your leaders. And you rejected Him. He's a teacher. And you still didn't believe Him. And Jesus is saying something better than Solomon is right here. You, they believed. The Ninevites, Queen of Sheba, believed just because of mere words. But something greater than words is in front of you. The Word is here. And you still don't believe. And Jesus says, so no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. It's His proclamation that He would die, that He would rise again. Greatest proof that He was the one that was sent to give His life up for our sins was His death and His resurrection. That He would conquer death and hell forever. Guaranteeing us eternal life. The promise of eternal life. The greatest proof that we have uh, been given the opportunity to receive eternal life is that that tomb is still empty. 1 Corinthians 15.7 says if Christ wasn't raised then faith has no point. It's all futile. But Jesus knows for them, for these religious leaders, that, that even the resurrection isn't going to be enough for them. We read about that, right? As we get to that. What do they say? Well, we've got to make up a story. Say the disciples stole his body. right? And then they, they, they just make up lies. Jesus knows there's nothing that I could do. There, there's no spectacle that I could do that's going to make you believe because I'm even going to, to give my life up for you and I'm going to conquer the grave and rise again and you still won't care. I think we see a bit of a direct correlation in... Well, I know we do. It's why we have the story of the Exodus in the Old Testament. 
<clears throat> Moses sent by God uh, to Pharaoh, who's got God's people in captivity, in slavery. And Moses is sent there and says, you need to let my people go, but Pharaoh's heart was hard. No, I'm not going to let him go. And he's, no, no, you don't understand. God's going God's to rain down some, some terror upon you if you don't let, God, let his people go. And Pharaoh says, no, his heart is too hard. He doesn't believe. And what happens? We read about all the plagues that come. You know, I, I, I don't know what it would take, but man, all of a sudden, plague of flies and plague of locusts and all the water turns to blood. I'd be, I'd be out at number one, right? And then that didn't work. Frogs and, and livestock dying. And, and finally, what was it that, that finally broke Pharaoh? It was the death of his firstborn son. The death of a firstborn son broke the chains of slavery and set God's people free. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you look at that passage in context, uh, Paul is talking about the unbelief of the religious people of Israel. And, And he's coming after them. Why, why would you not believe? Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. Because they thought that it was all going to be based on works. And it became a stumbling block to them. He says, brothers, in verse 1, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is that you'd be saved. I bear witness that you have a zeal for God, but not according to the truth. Not according to the knowledge, the wisdom that was given to you. You're making it up on your own. You're ignorant of the righteousness of God. You want to establish it on your own. And you don't submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everybody who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness, he says, that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments would live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, don't say in your heart who's going to ascend to heaven or who's going to descend to the abyss. But what does it say? The Word is near you. In other words, the Word is right in front of you. In your mouth and in your heart. And this is the faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart you believe and are justified, and with mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. Belief. Trust in who Jesus is, what He's done, and you'll be saved. I want to just conclude today by really just asking, for those who maybe haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, what will be enough for you? Are you, are you just waiting? What are you waiting for? Is it a, something spectacular? Is it, is it a sign? I'll just tell you, there can be nothing more spectacular than for one to die and then to rise again out of that grave and to live forever. Take it beyond that, but to not just live forever, but to ascend to the throne of heaven where He reigns forever, where He now is making intercession for each and every one of us with the Father. He loves you. What more do you need? to surrender your life to Jesus than to know that that He did it for you.
Maybe you just say, I just, I just want to see. I just need some, some evidence. Then I'll have faith. What God says, the way that God works is, how about you have faith? And you will see that the evidence is all around you of who I am. When Mary and Martha went to the tomb after, uh, on that Easter morning, uh, they, get, they, they meet a guy they think is the gardener. It's Jesus. And, and Jesus says, well, let's roll the stone away. And, and Martha says, Ugh, no, he's been in there a while. Yeah, she says, it's, it's not going to smell very good. And, and, and Jesus says, yeah, but don't you remember what I told you? That, that if you had faith that you would see the glory of God? What he's saying is, remember what I told you? We're going to roll that stone away. It's not going to smell good. It's going to look pretty amazing because it's empty. But, but he says, I told you that if you had faith, then you will see the glory of God. But don't we always operate opposite? God, if you would show yourself to me, then I'll believe in you. And he says, well, that's not faith. And God wants people of faith that would trust in Him. And He says, I've given you more evidence, more proof than you need. It's all in here. That's why we dig into it. That's why we devour it. That's why we meditate on it. Because everything that we read is just God's proof to us of who He is, how much He loves, and how much He cares. We don't need a spectacle. We don't need awe and wonder. Because when I read this and I read about who Jesus is, it's just nothing but awe and wonder for me. It makes my jaw drop. Maybe instead of constantly asking, God, give me more. Jesus, show me more. Show me more and then I will fill in the blank. I think, I think that, that Jesus just reverses the question to us. He says, what, what, if you, what if you asked, what more could I do? Jesus, I, I want to I know you more. I, I want to I dig deep into this so that I can, I can know who you are as deep as I possibly can go. Jesus, I want to follow you more closely each and every day. I want to imitate you better than I ever thought possible. I want to cling to your words more tightly each and every day. I want, to, I want to repent faster than to sit and dwell in my guilt and in my shame. I want to humble myself lower every day so that I make sure that I'm not fighting for that throne. I want to love others bigger than I ever thought possible. I want to sing louder when I worship. I want to shine brighter as a missionary for you all over this world because Jesus, you have done enough. Let me be the one that brings more. Let's pray. Father, thanks for you. Thanks for how much you love us, that you care about us, that you've given your Son up for us when we absolutely don't deserve it. Father, each and every one of us in this room has probably already proven in the short amount of hours that we've been awake that we don't deserve your grace or your mercy 
And you just say, but I love you because that's who I am. Thanks, God, that you don't require more. You say, I just want, I want all of you. Just give me you. Father, help us to do that. Sometimes it takes piece by piece, but eventually, God, we just want to be people that lay ourselves down and say, you can have all of me. So use us, God. Raise up from, from us as the body of Christ here at Century. Would you raise up, Father, the next generation of incredible missionaries that change the world, leaders, God, spiritual leaders uh, who take your word to the othermost parts of the earth, incredible parents that set an example of just passionately pursuing you no doubts, God, just running after you, setting an example for their kids. Help us be people that go out into this world, into our workplaces each and every day. And, and we're not working hard so that we can get more. We're working hard that we can glorify you and expand your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for setting the example for us. Thanks for giving us everything. May we give the same to you. Amen.